Hello, friends. Nico here from the Geek Cast Live, and you are proudly listening to the Movie Podcast Network. Hey there, Cartoon Joe here. If you like what we do, head on over to Patreon.com for special extras and crispy num-nums that you can get for just a few dollars a month. That's Patreon.com slash GeekCastLive. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes or YouTube or follow us on SoundCloud. Be sure to comment, like, review, leave cynical comments, or call Nick mean names. He likes when you do that. Like books? Hate to read? Have ears? Like to listen? Well, we have a solution. Audible.com, where there's over like a million or something books that you can listen to with your ears. Go to audible.com slash geekcastlive for a nice kick in the pants. We'll do it live! It's a trap! Hey, Super Friends, welcome to episode 412 of the Geeky Cast Live Podcast. I'm your host, uh, CR, and with me, as always, Rob Bass. Meorn. <laughs> and that Meorn. That I, I actually saw a guy on Facebook. It was actually Eddie Webb, uh, a guest of ours uh, last season, who said his Facebook status was, without giving me any context, context tell me an inside joke. And... <laughs> That's amazing. I, I thought it was a great status, and that's no one here gets meorn except for Rob. I don't even know if you get meorn. I don't know if you've heard the story. No, that is so far over my head. I couldn't even jump and touch it. I'm I'm totally leaving the context out of it. Just know that that uh, that was something Joe did for me. <laughs> okay, I did it for you, and, and for, I did it for okay. uh, and, our fallen brother in arms. <laughs> yes, may absolutely. he rest in peace. Uh, because I know he'll get a giggle out of it. So. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I'm a firm believer that like inside jokes are possibly the best form of humor and comedy ever. Mm-hmm. Like the fewer people that get a joke, like if you can tell a joke and just keep going for so long that there's only one person left laughing, I think that's by far the best kind of humor. Just terrible, terrible, awful jokes. I think that's how I excuse all the terrible jokes that I tell. I'm You're just like, ah, it's, a, ah, it's an inside joke. You wouldn't get yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't matter if you thought it was funny. I laughed. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, was telling it, I was telling it more for my own amusement than for yours anyway, so. Mm-hmm. Joe, I, I think explaining a joke is, I think explaining jokes are funny, especially if everyone gets the joke. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just driving it like as hard home as humanly possible. Yeah, hard home, hard home. Like a, yeah, I was trying to. Yeah, I was actually made a, a bet to try and see if I can't drop as many Game of Thrones quotes into this episode as possible. Game of so Thrones show titles. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. God, it's gonna be a red wedding of an episode. <laughs> Probably will be. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I gotta, uh, before we get too much further, I gotta tell you what I'm drinking tonight. Please. Ooh, Uh, can we play guess the, can we play guess the drink? Oh, if you'd like to. I don't think you'll get it, 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 it. Is it a cocktail? Is it a beer? Is it a wine? Or is it a non-alcoholic beverage? It it is a wine. It's a wine. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
I'm going to say it's a uh, Catina Alamos Malbec from Argentina, 2009. Uh, I'm, Rob? I'm going to go with like an old dirty bastard from last year. Uh, no. Although, Ryan, I do have the I do have that exact wine, only 2015, in my kitchen right now. Really? Um, what I found at my local liquor store was a three ninety nine bottle of El Torito Cabernet Sauvignon from 2014. Mm. Mm. Nice. It is a product three of Spain. The, uh, the nose is a lovely blackberry. The front of the palate is a wonderful spicy oak and leather. And the back <laughs> of the palate is dirty socks. <laughs> really finishes strong then. <laughs> oh man! I, one of one of my favorite one of the reasons I I love pool season at my parents' house is because we play beer snob every time we're there. Mm-hmm. So I hope I, I don't know, Joe. You've played beer snob. Mm-hmm. Rob, have you had a chance to be at the pool and play beer snob? I don't think that I've had the opportunity. Okay, Dad will go get the. Let's say there's ten people in the pool. He'll go get ten little like Dixie cups. And he'll go grab just any beer from the refrigerator. It might be a Coors Light. It might be like a, like a Kentucky bourbon ale. It doesn't matter what it is. And he'll pour everybody a little taster. And then you go around. You're supposed to be a beer snob. But you're not supposed to actually like like really do it. You're supposed to like, like, mm, like a, that's got a nice, uh, you know, it's got a nice like a pencil shaving <laughs> front. Mm-hmm. Really plays nice off the back of the tongue, though. With it's like a very supple, like a beaten leather, but like a still on the cow. <laughs> You're supposed to be like a like a like a jag off beer snob. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love beer snob. Oh, it's a fun game. Oh, sounds like a fantastic this, so, game. So anyway, this wine tastes like Dobby is a free elf. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. No matter what the. Be- here is my cousin. My cousin's husband, JSK, always takes a sip and says, mm, "Like a bag of pennies." <laughs> no matter, no matter what the beer is, you know, it tastes like a. It's got the mouthfeel like a. It's like I'm drinking a bag of pennies. <laughs> Delicious. Delicious. Mm. <laughs> Another inside joke. This is the inside oh, joke hour, everybody. Uh. What a wedding that was. That was Joe, a good wedding. I tell you. Yeah. I tell you. When I thought we were going to when I thought I was going to have to yell Captain Planet during the ceremony, I've never held a laugh in so hard in my entire life. I was dying. Dying. Oh. Yep, man. Anyway, God, that would have made it that, so worth it. Though. That would have been so fucking worth it. Yep, and then afterwards I, I had an atomic nightcap. <laughs> <laughs> you did, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Heavy on the tom. Uh, I wouldn't have had to justify myself in yelling that. I would have yelled it, and everybody would have there would have been there would have been angry people, but then everybody else would have said like, "No, yeah, I get it." <laughs> that was right. You should have yelled that. Mm-hmm. Oh man, what a thing! Yeah, honestly, I'm what surprised. Is... Like a blue Don Cheadle didn't show up. And... 
<laughs> and, Start and turning people uh, into trees. Right, melt this with his laser eyes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, wow. Anyway. Well, that would have been the gift. That was... <laughs> if you've never listened to GeekCast Live, that's probably why. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we have we do have we do have things to talk about this show. We, it, it is it is we we do come here. Believe it or not, we actually do come here with a purpose. We we have we may not always like achieve that purpose, but no no I'm saying we're it's within the boundaries of our house of black and white. Why? I mean, we talk all week about guests and do reviews and and then things happen like uh like a thor trailer dropping um you know it just it just so happens to be you know the 40th anniversary of star wars um mm-hmm. i mean things just ha- happen and we we have to adapt to that and then you know we always talk before the show which means that things are said that spins the front half of the show into a weird thing but we do have things to talk about. Plan things you, we're going to talk about. I tell you that that Thor trailer has me like that gif of Vince McMahon falling out of his chair. <laughs> By the old gods and the new, it was fantastic. Did you say gif? I did. He did. I did. It made me cringe on so many levels. <laughs> it's, it's why it I always... decided to pronounce it that way. It's because Rob says without f-jord. fail. It just it just like do you <laughs> visceral so, reaction. So what? So do you? What do you feed your goldfish? Well, there... no, no, I, I feed my goldfish uh, in a gym. other goldfish, but like the crackers. It's like a beautiful form of cannibalism. Mm-hmm. I ate a live goldfish once. Huh? Yeah. Were you doing a fundraiser a gr- for a youth group at a church? <laughs> no, we were at a party, and it was a. Uh, it was a, it was a, the annoying girl at the party's uh, pet. Mm. So I, so I told her she could. I said she should, she should knock it off, or I'm going to eat her goldfish. And well, well, you know what? She didn't. So I ate her goldfish because mm. I'm a man of my word. You're a man without honor. Speaking no. of men of their words no. and men without honor, how Hold about on. that Thor trailer? <laughs> I am a man of high honor because I kept my word. <laughs> I said I would eat her goldfish, and by golly, I ate her goldfish. Mm. Oh. By jolly, there was you a, ate her goldfish. There was a, there was a Thor trailer though, and I'd like to have a little bit of breakdown. So, what what did besides the the visceral immediate like fist pump reaction to it what I, I, take that out of the equation what did you what did you think of the trailer i liked it well enough uh, it was it was really solid it was what i was wanting from marvel uh that being said it definitely felt very guardians of the galaxy um but i guess that's like uh, I, I guess that's the thing that they're going for just the complete and opposite like um emotional reaction that you get from watching like a a DC trailer or something along those lines. Um, So it was really bright. It was really colorful. Uh, You can definitely tell that they've worked on their contrasting uh, since any of the Avengers movies or basically most of their films. Um, It's like they, uh, they watched the same video essay we watched and went, you know what? That guy's right. 
Yeah, yeah, and and then and then applied that to their movies, which is great. I'm uh, really really excited about that. Um, I don't know. It looks really solid. Uh, what is it? Kate Blanchett as uh, Hella. Um, yeah, she, that's tremendous. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, is it? Is uh, it Hella? I haven't done any research. Yeah, Hella. Excellent. Or, or uh, Hell, I think is also acceptable. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's one of the two variations at any point in the story, or depending on the uh, translation that they're going with. But um, so she looked fantastic and terrifying. Uh, it's cool to see Loki on the screen again, though I wasn't really like. I don't know how I felt about like the the cool like double dagger flip, and then Loki catches them. And, I thought and, it was he's, he's, he's still Legolas's swords. Very comic book, I suppose. But uh, there was just, uh, there was more camp in that one trailer than there's been in ten years of Marvel movies. I will I will give it that. I will give it what that. Did, now, what did you? Um, I think they showed us a ton of clips out of order. I don't think the trailer showed like the linear flow of the movie. Mm-mm. I think what? I think the I think the um, uh, Thor getting captured by Valkyrie, getting brought to the grand, the game master, um, all the stuff with Hulk. I think that's first act stuff. I don't mm. think that's, I don't, I, I don't think that's the end of the movie. Um, I bet you that's going to be right smack dab in the middle of it. You think? I think so. I think they're going to like peak in the middle with like, the Hulk begins to rampage and doing crazy shit, and maybe Loki sets him loose on things after the uh, uh, the the arena. I don't think it's gonna be. Well, I guess they did say it was gonna be kind of like it's like buddy a buddy buddy like though. It's like it? a buddy cop movie. It's like a robot yeah. Movie. So then they're gonna they're, they're gonna have to go that way after that. It's gonna be Hulk and Thor team up in the middle of the movie. I think the only thing that's that's tough about that though is that he's got the the short hair. So are they going to do a thing where like like his I mean the hair is going to be the is what maybe makes me think it's towards the end is because all the other shots he's got long hair so I, I don't know but I could see where I could see where um early on he loses Mjolnir um maybe he's got to go find it I, I don't know I just it it seemed to be like it wasn't in sequence. Yeah, no, I, I would I, definitely, I definitely agree, with, agree that. with that. But I don't know what order they're supposed to go in, and that's uh, we've talked a lot the last few weeks about um, over-revealing trailers, and this is probably one of the first true teasers we've had in a while for anything. See, I, yes. I, 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 we we talked about this in Movie Podcast Weekly this week, and I love. I mean, the the talked about scene in the trailer is. Uh, when it's it's Hulk that busts the door and he says like yes you yes! know him he's a friend from work and it's this awesome scene that is it's truly awesome I loved seeing that uh, Carl Huddleston loved seeing it too but wishes he would have seen it for the first time in the movie yeah. he thought that that was too much they should have held that back for a scene in the movie. It would have became the talked about scene of the movie rather than oh, the talked about scene from the trailer, and then right. and then we oh, also we saw, saw that, that six months ago. Yeah, because the movie comes out in November, so he felt it was he thought the trailer was great. He felt that it was too early, 
And if you're going to release it this early, then they should have released like a 30 second, like a true actual teaser rather than like the, the minute 30 second trailer. But I, I'm greedy. Um, <laughs> I loved seeing it. Yeah, and compared to their, the, the last one, the last trailer that Marvel had put out being uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, uh, I like that it left there something to be desired. Like, it, it, it left you wanting more. Whereas, like, you know, uh, the Homecoming trailer just kind of felt like, oh, well, here's the movie abridged. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah so, I think that was over-revealing. I didn't mm-hmm. need to see the fairy scene in Spider-Man Homecoming. Mm-mm. Right. Um, I now know that uh, there, no one's in danger there. Iron Man saves the day. Yeah. I didn't need to see most of the scenes in that trailer, in all honesty. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I, I, they could have just left it as a te- teaser trailer, and I'd have been like, Spider-Man Homecoming, I'm seeing that. Well, I mean, yeah. you, you know he's got, he's got the suit. He goes, he goes uh, over his skis. Iron Man takes the suit back. Then uh, he has to prove that he's not just... Uh, it's not the suit; it's the man. So then he takes down the vulture in his regular suit. Mm-hmm. That and then he must, and then he gets the suit back at the end of the movie. I'm sure. I mean, that's how it goes, right? I mean, that's yeah, the story arc easily. easily, right? Yeah, and it just it, like like just give us like give us just enough. Yeah, that's that's an absolute bummer. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure I, that um, it'll still be a great film, but yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, the one thing I did love about the scene, about including that scene, uh, with him being really pumped about Hulk is it feels like, um, so traditionally in Marvel comics, in all of the Thor story arcs, the Thor is like the dumbest superhero in the Marvel universe. He's up there. And, um, and we haven't really seen that clearly yet. I mean, he's confused by basic things, but... He also comes from a world where magic and technology are the same thing. Uh, so it was nice to finally feel like, oh, good. We're finally getting a dumb Thor movie that's going to be just a fun romp that is just, you know, nonsense. And with all of the the stuff that they've been doing up to this with, like, what's Thor been doing with his roommate for the past six months? Why wasn't he in Captain America? Um, yeah, I just, no, I'm I really wanted to just be like the dumb gallivanting adventure, like misadventures of Thor and Hulk. Exactly, exactly. While the apocalypse happens to be going on in the background. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, Joe, you actually brought up something that we need to get some. We need to get some uh, housekeeping out of the way. You said something about re- revealing trailers, so we do have a we have our championship match. Yes, for the tournament of bad, it is set up. Um, with uh, with sixty nine percent of the vote, um, uh, over revealing trailers, a twelve seed has made the championship. It beat out paying for autographs. Ooh. So my my twelve seed, which I can now I, I now I guess under uh, it, it was very underseeded. It probably should have been a three or a four seed. Um, is in the championship, and we actually had to uh, repost. The Twitter poll just today, um, uh, the uh, Joe's number nine, the Aragon movie, that was yours, correct, Joe? Yes, yep, yep. Uh, and Rob's number three, every Fantastic Four film, finished in a tie after a week-long Twitter poll. Fifty percent of the vote. Um, 
a new poll was cast, and facing over-revealing trailers in our first ever Tournament of Bad is the number three every Fantastic Four film. Yeah. It, uh, it eked it out. So this is a tough matchup. This is, uh, for the championship, it's every Fantastic Four film against over-revealing trailers. All right, I'm about and it. That's 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 tough. I mean, uh, so the poll will be up. Um, it'll be up Saturday when the show airs. It'll run until next Wednesday. Uh, get your votes out there um, for our championship. It's uh, um, it's it's. I'm shocked to be honest. Yeah. With you. I thought I thought the art of Rob Liefeld would have made it uh, a lot farther, but apparently I was really banking on over revealing trailers. So <laughs> fair. Um, okay, last uh, last little bit of movie news. Um, it just came out today, uh, and it's been confirmed because we have uh, Ryan Reynolds has confirmed it. Uh, we have our cable. Indeed, we do. Who Josh is... Brolin is playing Cable. Thanos himself. Awesome. So my my first reaction was that sucks because if anything happens where maybe uh, Fox Marvel and Marvel Disney come together, uh, they can't exist now because Josh Brolin is both Thanos and Cable. But um, that's a dumb thought, right? Well, I mean, I, it's like pur- purple dude with fuck with like a weird chin, and mm-hmm. then a dude with like a cyborg eye, right? But. They don't look the same at all. Yeah, I mean, I think it could be pulled off. Well, and if, I, if... Yeah, and I think you, you bring Deadpool into the, the rest of the MCU. Uh, how the much whole money... MCU changes. Well, yeah, and how much money do you make off of the joke that you know is going to be there where he says, like, hey, you look like Cable, or, hey, you look like Thanos. I mean... I mean, not in as many words, but, like, this the self-awareness of the character as a character. To be fair, there was a comic arc where Deadpool killed the entire yes, Marvel does. universe, That's true. including Thanos, and that would be fantastic to see that. Yeah, I'd love them just to do a Marvel or uh, Deadpool kills the Marvel universe movie. That would actually be as like a that... prequel to Logan. <laughs> yes, and then that's why there's no other mutants in Logan. <laughs> Deadpool, Deadpool killed, killed them all. Uh huh. I would love to see that. I would actually like to see it go this next step where Deadpool not only kills the Marvel Universe, but then Deadpool, like. Transcends and kills the MCU? Uh... <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll tell you what. i tell you what. Ryan Reynolds, come on the show. Let's talk about this. However, Michael Bay, if you're listening. Don't make 14 more Transformers. Please, for the love of dear God, quit while you're ahead. By the mother's mercy, please. We'll we'll talk about it. (laughs) You fucking jabroni. Have you you seen the, uh, speaking of Ryan Reynolds trailers, have you seen the new trailer out today for, uh, I don't know if it came out today, but I saw it today, for the movie with uh, Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson, the hitman's bodyguard? (laughs) No. Uh, I will find you the link, but check that out. It is. It looks amazing. Hmm. It looks like a movie with absolutely no plot. Um, Samuel L. Jackson Perfect. is the world's best hitman, 
And because he's so famous as a hitman, everyone tries to kill him. And so he somebody hires Ryan Reynolds to be his bodyguard. And shenanigans is he ensue. Famous, is he famous like, like celebrity famous? Like, oh my god, it's hitman Sam Jackson. Autographs. Or is he just like, is he infamous? Uh, infamous, yeah. Yeah, sorry. It's, oh, it's, it's okay. like everyone's trying to kill him. I kind of so like the idea of... I, I'm not going to lie to you. If somebody would like to sit down and start writing the comic book Celebrity Hitman, mm-hmm. I, I think that's brilliant. That's a million dollar like, industry. Like, you go, like, you can go, do, like, go get autographs. Um, he's got a Hollywood walk of, like, a star on the Walk of Fame. Celebrity Hitman. Uh, Does morning uh, shows. Right. Like, talk shows, yeah. <laughs> I hope I sound better now. Oh, you sound excellent now. A little quiet, but... Fantastic. I have no idea what that was about, guys. Sorry. Nope, you are perfectly fine. Yeah, no, it happens. Uh, that's a nice hard edit for you, Joe. Yeah, no problem. Like, I got the timing, <laughs> I think. <laughs> so, the, 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 the fun part's going to be lining up Rob's track and our track. That's then, fine. Uh, I cough like right at that point. Actually, like as soon as we got off, I coughed really loudly. So, oh, perfect. Look, look for that. There will be a massive spike somewhere. Uh, in the, the morning on the fifth day, look to the east. Rob will be coughing. Excellent. <laughs> I think I have the black lung, Pa. <laughs> that's exactly. I still haven't I seen Zoolander two, and I'm upset about it. I so, so my whole bit about the celebrity hitman got garbled up in a bad Skype connection? Yeah, pretty much. Fairly bad. Oh, man. That sucks. Celebrity hitman. Michael Bay, don't touch it. You know he'll try to. I know. He'll touch anything. Filthy animal. <laughs> we do have guests, though. Indeed we do. So we are going to, we are going to uh, do our best uh, to bring them on right now. Uh, it's never, uh, if you've listened to this show, you know that this is never the smoothest transition. Um, but you know what? We are going to, uh, I think we're going to wow you this week. I'm wowed. Well, of course. Just going to get like a little, like a clip of Leroy Jenkins and just over top of this, it's just going to be <laughs> Leroy Jenkins. God damn it, Leroy. <laughs> uh, hello there. Who do we got? Hello. Hi there. How are we doing? All right. Hello. How are you? Hello. Hey. Welcome. Max right. and Molly? Yes. Yes. Good to have you. Perfect. Good to have you. Good to be Good here. To be here. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. This is our first rodeo too, so we're just getting the kick of it. Uh, how are you guys doing this evening? All right. I'm pleased with the sound quality. This is great. <laughs> good. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, you guys sound good too. <laughs> you should have been here about ten minutes ago when my Skype decided to be a rodeo clown. And <laughs> 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 it was it was horrible. So um. Thanks for coming on GeekCast Live. This is a first for both of you, and uh, we are happy to have you. 
Thanks very much. Our pleasure. Uh, for uh, for our, we've kind of teased a cereal box in previous episodes, but we've really kind of kept everything uh, close to the vest, uh, hoping that you guys would explain to our listeners what exactly cereal box is. Sure. Uh, well, I can jump in, and then Max, please. Uh, I'd love to hear your version as well. Um, so this is Molly. I'm the co-founder of Cereal Box, and um, Cereal Box has been described by NPR as HBO for readers, which delights us um, because really what we're trying to do is put together a series of fiction that r- read and listen like television in the sense that um, it's a discrete episode each week and it's about 40 minutes to read or an hour to listen to. Um, and while if you listen to a whole season or you read a whole season, it does end up sim- being similar in length and experience to a novel, each week the episode has a kind of fully formed arc so that it's satisfying the way that if you watch one episode of a show, it's still a story kind of unto itself. Uh, though there are season-long arcs that Max and our other writers work very hard to craft to keep people coming back. Yeah, so it's a really great um, way to sort of get the zing of a short episodic story, and especially something that you can just finish in a brief period of time, um, get a whole narrative experience with the longer-form pacing. Uh, In a way... um, narrative television especially the sort of hbo narrative model of narrative television has uh, added this whole new picture of storytelling to the storyteller's toolkit it's not something that gets used a lot in books and prose fiction so far but that's something we're doing a good job to change and and that's that you get to combine episodic storytelling in which you are really focusing on telling coherent and compelling stories about individual characters right the focus isn't so much on an intricate developing plot, though those absolutely happen, and in fact, there's a lot of room for them to happen. But you're really trying to get to know these people week after week. And so when the big inevitable turns hit, when the betrayals happen, or when the hard choices get made, it really feels like a sort of heart-wrenching turn, as opposed to reading even a very long book, which is probably going to be done in, you know, maybe a week, maybe two weeks, maybe longer if it's a, a sort of phenomenally sized volume. But for most people, they're going to sort of be in and out of that in just enough time to get to know the characters. So that episodic duration gives us a lot of room to play around. I really yeah. like that. It's 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 a it's a very very cool format. I, I do a lot of driving, and so for me to have the option to listen to a story is. I mean, like, I mean, that's right in my in my bailiwick. I love audiobooks, and um, the fact that they're you know they're like forty five minute to an hour long um, closed loop adventures that I'm on is just it's it's tremendous for a guy like me. So I want to thank you for that. It's it's been great. That's good. You're welcome. Yeah, I mean, that's something I really love about uh, the way that Serial Box focuses on the audiobook production at the same time as the print episode comes out or the electronic sort of prose episode comes out. Um, it really is sort of both sides of the coin, and people get to consume the episodes as, uh, in whatever way feels nice to them. Um, my wife loves listening to book burners when she's on her morning commute. 
Um, I know a lot of people who are sort of commuters who are into it or listen while they're doing chores or something like that. And it just makes it a lot more natural fit for me for listening than um, watching TV while doing chores, certainly. Well, and I... Uh, and I there, is some, there is some real quality, by the way, to, to your guys' audio work for the, for the audio books. So. Yeah, no, it's very, very well done. Thank you. That's nice to hear. I'd love to know whether you guys listen to um, any fiction podcasts because I think up to now our audio has uh, really been um, more similar to audiobooks, just told in episode form. Mm -hmm. And we're looking at the idea of maybe adding in more ambient sounds, like some other aspects of um, the audio experiences that we're starting to hear from nonfiction podcasts, um, some of the true crime and others like that. So I'd love to know if that's interesting to you or if um, there are any fiction podcasts that you think are just great. I think that would be fantastic. Um, sorry, I, I listen to uh, Welcome to Night Vale and uh, pretty much everything from Welcome to Night uh, – I think it's Welcome to Night Vale Preve Presents is the podcast network. Um, so Welcome to Night Vale, Alice Isn't Dead, and um, the Floating Circus of the Air – uh, floating human circus of the air are all really great fiction podcasts that uh, they do a lot of ambient sound and and are excellent. Um, really enjoy the format, and I think it would bring uh, uh, an even I, I don't know I, listening to other audiobooks. Usually, you might get a different voice, but it's the same person doing the voice. And I noticed listening to um, what is it the the witch who came in from the cold. Is that yeah. uh, listening to that one when you switch between uh, Gabe and Tanya, uh, the right. actor, the voice actor changes, and so I think right. adding adding ambient sounds to that would make it even more uh, immersive. I guess. Yes, absolutely. One um, of the first, not one of the first, but one of the better. Um, what am I trying to say here? Experiences I've ever had with an audiobook was a. Uh, a book by A.R. Witham called Blackjack. And it yes. was actually a, a moving experience where you read the story and, you know, as you read that there was uh, police sirens, uh, the uh, police sirens would appear in the background. Um, mm. when, lightning struck, when lightning struck, the page flashed. Um, uh, when there was a stampede, you, you, the, the vibrating uh, part of your phone or your iPad would vibrate. And so, oh, wow. Um, to be to me as immersive as you can be is what is is uh, the more immersive the better I guess what I'm trying to say so yeah if you, that doesn't bother me at all I I, I would tend to agree with that uh, I, I listen to an, or and watch a lot of like a Critical Role and uh, uh, Geeks and Sundry Productions Dungeons and Randomness so it's a lot of like D and D oriented storytelling. Uh, but they all also take ca time and care for their uh, sound, sound effects, ambience, um, um, soundtrack, things along those lines. And with you guys putting as much detail and effort as you are into uh, cultivating not only just like the book episodically, chapters and things along those lines, but uh, your attention to detail on the audio portion of it, I think that would just be fantastic. Cool. Well, that's good to hear. We have our work cut out. I'm for sorry, Molly. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm excited because I actually I, I'll listen to an audiobook 
and you know, you pick up an audio book, like if you pick up the stand, the audio book, it's like 15 hours long. Oh no, it's like 52. <laughs> 52 hours long. Well, I'm not always driving to Los Angeles. So I don't, right. I, you know, I don't, I never get to do that. So I'll, you know, I'll have to listen to it for, you know, four hours and then I have to come home and I have to get my book and I have to find exactly where I was in the audio book and then I can start reading, which that's easier than doing it the other way, which, cause then I can't read the whole rest of the book. So I put it down I get back in my car the next morning and I've got to find where I am in my book to continue listening to it in the audio format. Right. In... On, on your app, on the book, or not the book burners app, on the cereal box app, when I stop listening and switch to the text version, like at lunch, I'm already where I'm supposed to be. And vice versa. It's, the platform is wonderful. <laughs> Excellent. Glad to hear it. That was the idea. <laughs> it's great. No, it's that it it's that attention great. to detail that really like sets this whole experience apart. I think you guys are doing a really solid job with that. So keep keep that up. Thank you. Yeah, we see a lot of uh, from the user behavior that we watch um, to make sure people are having a good experience. We can see that people switch over from listening when they get presumably home or somewhere where they're more relaxed to a tablet or that kind of. Um, reading experience, so it's it's great to see people switching back and forth, um, you know, during the different points of their day. So tell okay. us a little bit more about yourselves and what brought you guys to creating Serial Box. Sure, I'll I'll give my piece, and then I'd love to hear Max's continuation. So, um. Julian and I are the co-founders of Serial Box, and we came to the idea from different perspectives. Um, I come out of the traditional book publishing world. I was previously um, the global digital director at Penguin Random House, and there I was working on kind of reinterpreting book content for mobile uh, in a number of different ways, and also kind of looking at um, opportunities to um, grow the reading and listening audience. Um, so I was very excited uh, when ebooks became a thing, when the Sony Reader came out first and then the Kindle. I thought maybe we'd be able to reach out to um, readers, broader, you know, broader group of readers than we were reaching uh, through traditional publishing. Um, but what I began to see was that we just were replacing, like heavy readers who were already buying lots of physical books started switching to, to ebooks, and I didn't feel like we were markedly, you know, growing the number of people who were able to fit books into their life. Um, and around the same time, I also kept hearing so many publishing people that I work with um, talking about television rather than talking about books in a social context. Mm -hmm. um, and so I said, well, it's so much easier to talk about TV in a way, I guess, because you can say, which episode have you seen? You know, how far are you? With a book, that's much harder. Um, you know, maybe you can, maybe someone can say I'm halfway through, but it's it's much more difficult to pinpoint uh, what's going on in the plot right. that way. Um, and so I kept thinking about that, like, is putting books um, into a digital form 
um, making it any easier for people to read or is it just uh, kind of a new format that, that doesn't really change the consumption very much? I mean, sure, it's great to to take a lot of books with you at all times, um, but that doesn't actually make it easier to get through them if you're feeling like you're time poor. Um, so that was kind of my perspective and I ran a few experiments as a result. So I asked a couple of writers um, published by Penguin to um, write novels that were structured to be read two chapters at a time. And we published them just as conventional eBooks every Tuesday over the course of um, about three months. And they, those authors were able to grow their audience pretty significantly through those serialization projects. Um, so that was exciting to me, and, and I decided I'd kind of been bitten by the entrepreneurial bug after starting a, uh, creating a startup inside of Penguin and sitting on the board of some startups that Penguin had invested in. Um, so I decided I would um, explore this idea. And then I happened to be introduced to Julian through, you know, mutual acquaintance. And he'd come to this idea from a sort of personal experience uh, where when he started a big job, he found he just didn't feel like he had time to read anymore, um, which he was really bummed about because he's a you know, great reader. Um, but he was still finding time for like television and comic books. And so he, I think, started talking to Max about, the, you know, I wasn't in the picture at this point, but he and Max were um, talking about this and uh, decided to kind of experiment with mixing metaphors, like mixing the blending um, that narrative television experience with with uh, writing fiction. But I'll let Max take it from, from there. Sure. Thank you so much, Molly. That's it's really interesting hearing your side of the, uh, of the of the story and hearing your background working with the serialization experiments. I'd love to get some more chance to talk to you offline about that. But anyway, um, where uh, Julian and I come into it, um, we've been friends for a while and Julian and I were um, on a vacation together and having a conversation about publishing and writing and like what sort of opportunities there were to do things differently especially in a digital context and one thing that i'd seen happen um and was very big at the time was the creation of short self-published novels so you know people were really succeeding by publishing a series with one short book every two weeks or something like that and, you know, as a writer myself, I felt like this was kind of a backbreaking pace. Um, I, you know, naturally write longer novels and take more time to do them. But I'd started to think, well, what if you had a group of people who are all working together to try to write, you know, a shorter series of books so, or, or a shorter series of episodes? You'd get this sort of episodic serial content that could then all add up to something larger over time. Um, and Julian... Uh, really got excited by this idea and started ruminating on it for a while. And um, we had a number of more conversations as he was developing it further and really locking into this sort of television mode of thinking about it. And I think comics are also a big part of, uh, of the genealogy of Serial Box, too. I mean, we're both big comics readers, and there's something really lovely about being able to pick up an issue and read it in, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour, or tear through a trade, and then know that you have four or five other trades that you can get through when you have time. 
um, rather than just sort of sticking a uh, bookmark back in something and then getting back to it later. So that sort of serial and continual um, experience is something that we both really liked a lot. And uh, yeah, so so that grew over time. And uh, as we started recruiting writers and talking to people, um, Margaret Dunlop was a huge part of sort of formalizing the television language as we were pulling together book burners, which was the first serial that um, that I created. And uh, Margaret and Brian Francis Flattery and uh, Merle Lafferty all wrote on that first season. Um, so. Yeah, just pulling it all together like that was was huge. And it was also a little bit uh, rocky. We were very fortunate to have Margaret in the writer's room as we all sat down for the first weekend because she had so much experience with um, writing in television and with sort of the functioning of a writer's room. So, you know, we knew where the note cards were supposed to go and how we were supposed to pace our conversations. We also drew pretty heavily off of the gaming backgrounds that we shared Um for collaborative storytelling in that way. So to, to two questions then. First one is what kind of comics and publishing house? <laughs> and the second one is what kind of role-playing games are we talking here? Oh, okay. Well, all right. So what kind of comics for me? Um, let's see. So I was a big Dark Horse comics reader in the 90s for all a right. while. Yeah, I have basically every Star Wars comic that they published up through the like point where I think right after the Phantom Menace came out and there was suddenly this sort of ongoing Tales series and there were a whole bunch of Phantom Menace tie-in related things that weren't really my jam. But I still have like four or five long boxes of these hanging around. Also every Indiana Jones comic. Um, nice. And yeah, exactly. I never, I never was much of a Marvel or DC collector back in the day. But then, of course, like Sandman and Alan Moore and, uh, and that kind of thing mm-hmm. that was going on at the same time. Um, Gaming. Uh, I got my start in the uh, sort of heyday of White Wolf the Gerunding. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that was my sort of initial play. But the first long game that I was ever running in was a Star Wars D6 role-playing game that my friend Scott ran back when I was in high school and uh, with a bunch of the guys that I've, and folks that I fenced with in college. So that was enormously fun, and I kept playing that for a while. But these days I play Fate a lot more often. Uh, that's probably my go-to system, just a sort of standard Fate core with some skin or another on it, depending on the setting that I want to play around with. Um, right, right. But I'm also – like I like more narrative games. Um, I enjoy having and being a GM because – when you just have everybody at the table sort of pushing in, sometimes the rule system can work, but often there's a failure of pacing. Things just get a little zany. So mm-hmm. I like GM-run, story-driven games. Okay, so so Perfect. you're obviously a Star Wars fan. <laughs> so oh, yeah. I'm going to take control of this for a second. Sorry. Uh, so <laughs> uh, have you had a chance to try the new Fantasy Flight system, by the way? I have not had a chance to try it. Um, I it's... am really excited for it. It sounds exactly like the system that you want. It's very story-driven. Instead of rolling numbers where you're trying to, you know, beat something or another, the way the dice work is you're rolling successes against failures. It's a big Mm. dice. And uh, there's also advantage and disadvantage. So uh, the way that it works is, like, you can uh, fail on a check but still get something out of it. So say you're shooting at these stormtroopers and you miss these stormtroopers, but you get a bunch of advantage on it. 
Um, you can say, okay, well, I missed these stormtroopers, but I'm going to hit this blast panel back here, and it's going to have this computer console by it, and it's going to cause these doors to shut between us. And uh... now, we're... so it's a lot of give and take between the GM and the players, and it's a phenomenal, incredible system. Like I would that... really recommend. All right, I'll check that out. That sounds really cool, and that is something that I do think that like the old West End Games D6 system was lacking a little bit. The players didn't have so much story push. You could sort of spin whether you wanted a thing to succeed or not, and then it was really up to the GM to talk about how sort of awesome the success was going to be and really tout up the players, which is really fun, but relies on the GM being on and the players having a lot of trust. And this seems exactly. like a good sort of rebalancing there. Exactly. It's a lot of give and take from both parties. Cool. Well, and Max, do you think that that kind of background that the four of you on the first season shared, like, has that continued, that dynamic continued in the um, second and third story summits for book burners, or has it shifted as the team has shifted? Well, I think it has really continued. Um, part of Partly because everybody that we've brought on has had some sort of gaming background or other. I don't think Brian actually has much gaming, but he's a really accomplished gig musician. Like, He's, he plays in a lot of bands and small groups. Well, it's very similar, right? <laughs> I mean, it's that know, give it's... and take and like kind yeah. of tapping into what someone else is trying to, to exactly. Make. feeding exactly. off of another. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. like being able to recognize when the tempo of the scene is right for you to throw in either just with a one liner or with a cool action or when it's time to take things down a notch or when it's time to get zany. Like, a lot of the same reflexes for a good gigging group are the reflexes that go to a good gaming group. And it's like, it's one of the things that really frustrates me a bit about the, about gaming as a hobby, that you can develop really profound skill at being a player, being a GM. And then, you know, that's it's ultimately not something that you can ever sort of show off in the way that you can show off music, though. You know, now that there are things like Critical Role and a lot more gaming-oriented podcasts, maybe that's, a, that's an option for it. But that sort of collaborative storytelling reflex and the general feel that you want to all be contributing together. Nobody wants to, like, just be on the sidelines, and nobody wants to let their thing go. Nobody wants to, like not um, stand up for their ideas or really push for something that they think is going to be really cool but also everybody kind of knows what a jerk looks like at a table and doesn't want to be that guy <laughs> or gal <laughs> yeah. so, so that has been a really important bedrock for the Bookburners team and I think as we've gone on the summits have been getting better and better and the stories that we've been producing have been getting better and better as well and uh, the team really comes together and we're getting to the point where we can kind of anticipate where one another's going, where each other's going with an idea and where our, our styles have sort of mutually infiltrated each other in really cool and interesting ways. Ooh, would you yeah, give you've... an example? Sorry, I'm so curious. Oh, man. Uh, let's see. It's hard to say very precisely, but like, right. so Margaret has a really strong instinct for A and B plotting and structure. Yep. Um, and I think that's started to show up in some of the other episodes as well. I've certainly just, and we all have to a greater or lesser extent, just wholeheartedly adopted her outlining methods. Um, mm -hmm. um, let's see. Brian has this very sharp index for just uncanny, weird stuff. Like, right, right. Kind of skin crawly things. 
And I think either we've all been picking that up or we've all been trying to one up each other. But with like (laughs) sort of Brian as the base note there. Um, Murr has a great grasp on all of the characters, an excellent sense for comic timing. And for. uh, I I guess pacing is really the right word for it. Um, But it's not a uh, kind of breakneck pacing it's the ability to insert small moments of tempo like moments where the characters can get a chance to breathe or speak to one another um outside of this rigorous sort of vicious cause and effect and that's been really cool to see how it plays with the otherwise very plot driven and sort of episodic nature of the book burner's work and um yeah, so I don't know what I give to everything. I'm just stealing from everybody, I guess. <laughs> Before we actually get into book burners, because I want to get into book burners. Sure. Um, we, you know, I, I think a lot of people who read really want to write, or it's something that they like to do. And that's, I, I know I can speak for me and for Joe and for Rob, that that's what we do. We like to get together. We like to write either on the same story, create universes, create worlds. We're all gamers at heart. Yeah, of um, course. But you've said you've you've talked about this summit now a couple of times. It's, it's, mm-hmm. uh, what what is that? Uh, what is that? And I guess I'm even asking for listeners at this point. I'm asking for me. What does that sure. look like when you get together? If I were to say I want to throw a summit so we can write our own story. Yeah. Um, what does that look like? Okay. Don't well, our, don't give away our magic secrets. Um, <laughs> and you know what? And, and here's the thing. Here's here's the cool thing. Um, we just won't even release this episode now. We'll just stop. Or just you know, we'll we'll take your mundane secrets and figure out figure the other stuff out. I guess. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Well. Uh, okay. So I'll I'll just start going, and if uh, if I stop talking and there's a scream, you'll know that Molly's activated the shit that she's got. In but so it looks. A lot like a gaming session, to be entirely honest. You know, there are, you know, four people, five people hanging around a room, hanging around a table in a room, um, and there are a bunch... It's actually very similar to a fake gaming session, especially. There are a whole bunch of note cards everywhere, and there's a lot of unhealthy food, probably just out of <laughs> arm's reach if everybody's trying to be, you know, Rest good. if we're in New York. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so... Let's see, what's, what's different? Um, basically, the ground rules for a session are very similar to the ground rules for gaming. Um, though a lot of them are the kind of ground rules that are rarely even spoken at a table. You'll find them um, codified sometimes in, uh, in games that are really trying to recreate with rule systems the experience of sitting at a really well-run table. So I'm thinking about a game like Dungeon World um, here where you're really having a lot of rules that are built around making sure that everybody's storytelling right. Um, And it basically boils down to, and here I'm going to be stealing liberally from Margaret, just nobody wants to be, nobody wants to have Dr. No at the table. So if somebody throws out an idea, your job as a listener is to have a profound critical sense as to whether you like that idea or not, right? You're like, oh, yeah, that's great. You say it. But if you don't like it, you can say that, too, if you think it's the wrong direction, because maybe you don't understand it yet. Maybe you're um, not uh, 
maybe you're not all the way around or maybe the other person hasn't articulated it or maybe is just sort of saying something to say something. Um, but if you just say, no, that's a dumb idea, then you're being a jerk. And you're closing down a possibility, right? You uh, mm-hmm. want instead, and this is a very improv kind of thing to say, you want to be the yes and or sometimes the no but guy, and this is a little bit different from, um, from improv, you want to be the person who is taking the idea and putting a new spin on it or saying, I like that, but what if this? Um, sort of volleying it backwards so that other people have something to go on because a hard no really just kills possibility. Or, or yeah. even maybe uh, uh, tell me more about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like a, a good sort of raised eyebrow, okay, keep going, like, can just give somebody the incentive that they need to put the extra 10 or 20 words to a concept to really make it sing. Um, And so once you have that, um, the form of the thing is uh, over the course of a weekend, we'll be meeting for generally about seven, eight hours a day. Um, During that time, we'll generally go with a 45 or 48 minutes on like literally on a timer um, and during that time it's like nobody looks at the phone nobody looks at a laptop it's just being in the moment not talking about anything that's not the work that we're working on um, and then timer goes off everybody takes 12 minutes bio break talk about the sports ball game whatever um, and then when the timer goes off after that everybody centers back in um, and over the course of a summit, if it's the first summit for that particular project, we'll generally go in with some rough sense of what the story is, some pitch, some set of characters, um, but a lot of that stuff's open to change. And then the beginning question is, who are all of our characters? And we go through them very much like putting together a sort of party in a, in a role-playing game, honestly. You're looking at each character, like what their goals are, what their obstacles are, what their issues are, um, what strategies they take to get uh, to, to sort of be in the world, how they operate, what are some problems for them. Um, and then you see how they all relate to all of the different characters. So you have a very strong sense, not only of who these individuals are, but what kind of web they're in. And bonus points if those relationships are asymmetrical. If somebody looks on somebody else as a friend, but the other person looks on them as a teacher or a student or something. Um, So there you have a lot of potential for drama in the way that people see each other changing over time. And then you start asking yourself, well, how are these people going to change over the course of the season? Or what's, and, and is there any sort of organizing principle there, which amounts to what kind of thematic story are you going to try to tell over the course of the season? Um, if you don't have a sense of what your theme is yet, that's fine. That can emerge just out of the kind of stories you decide that you're going to tell. But this all is a process that happens over several days. Um, once you get your characters put together, and that really, if you're thinking about it intensely, it's going to take you about a full day. But by the end of that day, you should have a general sense of what dramatic possibilities your characters have, what are some things you want to do to them. And then the question is, does that general cloud that's emerging of the things you want to do with and to your characters, the options you want to give them, um, how does that, how, is there any sort of center of gravity to all of these things? Do they naturally cohere? 
around a particular thematic core or plot core? Is there one sort of strong spine that you could hang all of this stuff on that would be kind of symmetrical and nice? Um, and once you have that, once you have your characters, you have a series of dramatic ideas for them, and then you have this overarching spine that you can hang stuff off of, it's really a question of, in the case of book burners, finding some really strong episodic hooks that are going to bring people into a story and get them out. And then once, and then marrying those with these sort of dramatic possibilities for the characters. And at that point, you can really start getting down to the brass tacks of specifically what's going to happen in this episode for, you know, who's the sort of a plot character, or what's the sort of dramatic subplot that we're going to be introducing? How does it tie into the overall arc? And by the end of the weekend, you're going home with characters, drama, setting, thematic or plot structure, and a list of things that you need to happen in every episode. And then there's the nuts and bolts of actually breaking story for each one of the episodes, giving a detailed beat-for-beat outline, getting all the writers on the same page, uh, making sure the outlines are okay, creating the outlines, talking to people writing the stories, creating the stories. So that sort of churn, but that looks a lot more usual to people who are used to any kind of critique group experience. That's tremendous. It's yeah. a fun process. It's really, really cool. That, I'm not uh, joking when I say that we've, I've had writers say to me, this, pro- this really is a magic process. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's really great. I mean, it's definitely changed the way that uh, it's definitely changed the way that I approach my work. Um, there are just tons of tons of note cards involved in it. And like, I used to be this super plot based writer or pants based writer rather. I'd like just go in with a general sense of who the characters are and what's going on and all that. But the great thing about the serial box process is that it gives you a um, it gives you a built-in audience that is interested in making your work better because it's also their work in a way. So when you give a story idea, rather than waiting for, you know, sometimes months and months if you're writing a novel to see whether it connects, to see whether somebody's really going to get you and go for it, um, you see instantly in the eyes of your fellow writers whether it's taking or not. And if it hasn't taken, that's fine. You can throw out something else a few minutes later or maybe somebody's going to give you a fix for it. Um, so it's a lot more collegial. Everybody really does get together. And I don't know, there's this, there's this sort of saying about great art not being designed by committee, but I don't really think that's true so long as you get a bunch of people who are not working with their egos being the you know first and, and only guiding principle. If everybody's here trying to tell the story, you can make some really amazing things. And this is also kind of the way that great art has been made throughout history before we got this weird sort of romantic idea of what an artist is, is some sort of Byron person going off and fighting in civil wars that aren't theirs. Um, (laughs) To to, to get a little um, far afield, I suppose, from the original question, right? But like the, the, all the great, uh, the Homeric epics are conglomerations of stories from a whole bunch of different storytellers that, achieved a certain sheen and polish after being told orally time and time again and then finally being set down and the Sudaming the the four great classical novels of uh, of China were oral traditions first 
that were then ultimately codified by like single writers kind of pulling them together. But these were things that had been on people's lips and on people's tongues. Folks contribute. Audiences are great and collaboration, collaborative audiences are even better because they give you things you never have thought of before. That's really cool. That was, <laughs> I think he dropped the mic. I'm not gonna lie. I think he like, dropped the mic. Those mics are expensive, man. I can't go dropping those yeah, mics. Yeah, stop mic abuse. <laughs> hashtag. Well, Molly, you said the word magic, which is the magic word. Um... Well, writing writing is magic, right? I mean, it's it's telepathy, but. Allow myself to introduce myself. Uh, we have to, we can't we can't we can't let you go without talking about book burners man i uh i i love it because it's awesome and it's cool I excellent kinda, i kind of hate it because i wish it was my idea <laughs> um it's so cool and uh there's there's uh i'm 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 three episodes in i'm trying not to binge uh read it excellent um, I'm trying to. I'm trying to do it. Maybe uh, I, I. I challenged myself. What I wanted to do was was like one a week, like it was an actual TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I couldn't. I had to. Keep going. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I binged the crap out of it. I'm I'm done with season one. Excellent. Season two awaits. I know. I'm taking a little break. It's good I'm, I'm reading the the witch who came in from the cold while I'm coming down from season one of Brookburners, but. All right, excellent. Nice. Which is also great. Which is which is a really fun show. Mm-hmm. So for our listeners, would you want to give us the quick uh, rundown of Bookburners? Yeah, absolutely. So Bookburners is the story of a bunch of uh, basically secret agents who are working for the Vatican who run around the world finding magic and monsters and just sort of all all kinds of things that threaten people's everyday existence and bring them back to the vatican and then sticking them in a box and never opening the box ever because that works really well just about the most catholic book you could possibly short of the bible (laughs) yeah exactly so so um in point of fact we have uh the way that magic sort of works in this system is that um you don't really know how your people are going to respond to being confronted with this strange and supernatural until they're actually there. You know, everybody talks a pretty good game and we all like to think that we would respond in this way or that. But honestly, you're confronted with something that's utterly outside of your experience. A lot of people blink um, or freak out or just pretend they don't see it, just walk on by. So the folks who staff Team 3, um, Arturo Menchu, our main character, Sal Brooks, who's the... Uh, Here's sort of the point of view character, the person that we meet first and who we're experiencing the whole thing as she kind of learns how the game is played and what's going on. Um, Liam and Grace and, uh, and Asante, who's the archivist, they've all had run-ins with magic of some sort or another, and they've kind of come out from the other side, often bearing their own scars, and now their job is to run around and kind of protect people and try to... Uh, heal the damage that magic causes but they're also kind of confronted with the reality of what they're doing which is locking weird stuff away which uh, some of them feel better and some of them feel a lot worse about that and that play of uh, kind of power and adventure and protection and responsibility and but also like you know how when does responsibility get carried too far when can you be too paternalistic as you're sort of running something like this uh, these were all questions that we were asking a lot in the writer's room 
And practically speaking, we've got a world where, you know, you open the wrong book. If, if it's too old or too weird or you're coming at it in the wrong way, there are things that are going to creep out of the book from outside of this little island of light that we live on um, and start wreaking havoc. And the book burner's job is to find those books and close them again. I dig that. Yeah, it's, it's really cool, Rob. It's good times. I, I, I got I two words. Team one. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, That's I, true. I really, really like I said. I'm I, I'm early in the, mm-hmm. in the show. I'm mm-hmm. really interested in Team One. <laughs> so yeah, um, what he's referencing there is uh, there are three teams that we see in the in the in the Vatican society that's responsible for doing this sort of thing. Our main characters are team three and their job is basically acquisitions and retrieval for the library. They grab the books that seem interesting, protect people from them and then drag them home. There's team two who uh, you haven't met too much yet, but uh, team two are kind of uh, their job is generally to keep tabs, notice when things are going wrong, so possibly Team 3 needs to get sent in, maintain good connections with governments, and they be kind of uh, politicians and bureaucrats and diplomats. And then there's Team 1, who are the folks that are sent in with the napalm when uh, Team 3 gets it wrong, or when something gets too big for them to cover up. And uh, Team 1 spends a lot of time at high states of military readiness, they have some weapons that normal people aren't allowed to use, and they're just sitting in the dark with their itchy trigger fingers waiting to get sent out. All right. I can dig on that. <laughs> they're, I mean, they're fun. They're, they're sort of they're a pretty morally complicated force. I mean, their job, Team 3's job is to save people, and Team 1's job is sort of also to save people, but to save people but by, you know, doing pretty egregious violence to other people or things Hell that yeah. used to be people. Hell yes, they are. That's, <laughs> the, I view them as the expendables. Yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, it's a lot of Dolph Lundgrens. That's it. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're very expendables. They're like, they have... Uh, a lot of them die when they go out and uh, they know the risks when they sign up for the job and they do it anyway. Damn straight they do. <laughs> got a team one, I got a Team 1 tattoo coming quick. <laughs> Excellent. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm actually, uh, I'm even more curious about like Team 4 and why they don't exist anymore and dun, dun, dun. all of that stuff. <laughs> don't, hey, Joe, we can't listen. Listeners... <laughs> We're, we're, we're interviewing these people because what we like to do on this show is find cool things and then introduce all of you to these cool things so you can experience them with us. So we can't we can't we can't give up all the ghosts. <laughs> oh no, no, of course not. But plenty of ghosts. I'm still excited about it. <laughs> yeah, well, you'll find out more about Team Four in the incoming seasons. Don't worry. Oh boy. I don't want to say anything more, but it's good times. It is such an awesome format. It is, it is so easily digestible. Absolutely. Um, I I guess I I don't want to say groundbreaking, but it's, it's, it's very cool. It's very new. It's very cool. It's groundbreaking. It is groundbreaking. (laughs) The ground's done been broke. And it's, it's a very awesome cereal box is very, and it's S E R I A L. 
um, not to insult our listeners. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I and I gotta be honest, uh, listeners. I hate ebooks. I think I think ebooks suck. A big one, personally. Um, Cereal box is excellent. Um, I actually I was reading like three books at the same time. I put them down to get through season one of Book Burners because it was that. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Entrapping, I guess. It, it sucked me right in. So, like the demons Excellent. in the book. Exactly. <laughs> so. so we like to hear it. And that's the aim. <clears throat> yeah. So check it out. It's it's really it's phenomenal. It's it's uh, I couldn't couldn't speak more highly of it. Ah, well, thank you, thank you. I'm, I mean, we really have so much fun writing the, these episodes, and it's. I mean, season one is great, but it's really been fun working with this team over the last three seasons and, you know, starting to think about season four, even in, in, in the near future. Um, just because every time we get into the season, we know things from what we've developed so far. We get a better sense of who our characters are, what the rhythm of each writer is, who's a good fit for what episode. It just keeps getting better. And a bit, a bit, right, Max, of reader reaction or listener reaction. Yeah, gosh, absolutely. I mean, another great thing about this is that, you know, we get to watch how people are reacting to the story as we're telling it. Um, a lot of the episodes, you know, we, we definitely do some a lot of uh, story breaking work before anything goes on the air. But, you know, when you're writing a book, you get from a reader... Uh, basically their reaction when they finish it. Um, you don't really see, like, you don't get to see as much unless you're lucky enough to find somebody who's, I don't know, live tweeting their reading process. <laughs> what precisely these characters, what precisely this uh, reader's going through as they're turning the pages. You don't get to see how they really hit a moment of suspense or how you know what they're desperate to find out or what they're taking away from an episode uh, in a book you just sort of let it all ride and hope for the best and you get that feedback in a big lump but in this we get to really see how people are coming through each episode how they're responding to sometimes like chapter by chapter and then uh, all of that feeds back into our sense of what we're doing with the next season that's it's it's really a fantastic process mm -hmm. like i really like what you guys have got going on there yeah now uh you really so much fun you may have covered this earlier but i'm just uh just on the topic of how quickly you can respond to things um do you do you sort of plan and write a whole season based on one summit or do you have several summits per season per story well, we are generally writing the whole thing based on one summit, but there are a lot of calls that go on during uh, story development. Mm -hmm. So after that whole summit process that I talked about, we'll all kind of go into the season in flights of four episodes. Uh, so each writer on the show is writing one episode, so we all have something to talk about. And we'll, um, we'll write those all up. Uh, we'll outline them in great detail, talk about the outlines, see if there are any issues there. Then we'll write the whole episodes up in, in sort of full prose form and uh, review those, talk about them. 
and then send them off to generally an editor who will have another round of structural and uh, continuity feedback. So a lot of people see these and we go through a number of drafts on them, which is I think part of the reason they feel so polished in the final analysis. And a lot of people have had a chance to raise whole layers of, of objections from like, maybe you shouldn't use that word there to, I really don't think the audience is gonna understand this opening. Gotcha. Very helpful that way. Yeah, I would think yeah, I would so. Say, uh, prior to my my digital work at Penguin, I was an editor, and the process that we have um, with Serial Box is actually much more extensive and robust uh, in terms of the number of rounds and the number of people involved. So, the strong feedback loop. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's been um, very robust compared to my work on sort of on novels as well. Um, at least in part because the editor gets to see it at various different checkpoints along the composition of the whole season arc. And then there are a bunch of other people who are not just uh, beta readers who you generally want to go in cold to the whole arc of a season, but people who really have a creative interest in making the season as strong as possible, um, who, who like are co-writers with you, who understand its dynamics from within, and their feedback is also totally invaluable. Without a doubt, that's fantastic. Like, that's fantastic. Like, there's just a lot to a lot to work with there, and that that it can only allow a better product in the end. For sure. And I mean, frankly, as I'm writing, as I've started writing new books, um, since I started being involved in Serial Box, uh, it's definitely crossed over a little bit into my own work. I'm obviously not working with co-writers as I'm doing creator-owned stuff, but. It's changed the way I outline. It's changed the way that I think about structuring uh, structuring a book. It's changed my sense of what good openings are and what a good closing is. It's really kind of permeated through the rest of the process in good ways. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, <laughs> at the end of our show, <laughs> left him speechless. Well, uh, I, I, I am I am speechless. I'm trying to digest it all because. I mean, I've been trying to write, be a writer for a long time, and I just, you know, every time we bring somebody on who does it, whether it's Joseph Carrick or, or if it's, um, even if it's um, uh, the guys uh, like Jason Massey and them doing their stuff, I, I try to log some stuff in to try to help my, but, you know, there's been things that have been said in this interview that are like, oh, you know, no shit, that makes some sense. Why haven't I thought of that? Like, I, I don't know. It's been eye-opening. It's, it's been very cool. So I, 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 I am a little speechless in that I'm, uh, you've got me almost in my own head. It's, it's been very cool. Excellent. Well, that's good. It's good that you're not sort of sitting there being like, what kind of, what, what is this guy smoking? Uh, no, Did he fall off that horse in Mongolia? Yeah, yeah. Well, I did. I didn't hit my head, though. Probably. <laughs> At least that anyone's ever told me. No Memory's a little fuzzy. That. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very temporary superpowers. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, um, this is a funny thing about writing and writing advice and like writing wisdom is you know I can go through like I've been writing since as far back as I can remember and I've been writing long form since like like books. Uh, since I was, gosh, you know, in high school, middle school, maybe. So this is something I've been doing for a really, really long time. And yet, 
you still have those moments where you get where somebody says something or where you finally break through and you feel like you understand your craft on a whole different level. But when you say it, when you try to actually explain it, it comes out in these sort of dumb, like one syllable word statements, like your character should want something at the beginning. And it's like, and people have been telling me that for 10 years. <laughs> and yet, and yet finally <laughs> you're standing there at the, at the keyboard and you're like, oh my God, the character should want something. <laughs> it's, I don't know. Yeah. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's writer Zen, I guess. All of these platitudes are doomed to sound completely obvious until you realize that they're actually incredibly complicated and deep and very difficult to do. But then you can't express all of that in any way except for the incredibly obvious thing you've been hearing for 10 years. Right. The biggest trick to writing is writing. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wait. Uh, well, well, now you guys, as our guests, you guys have a choice to make. Okay. Okay. We uh, at the end of every show, we, we we talk about what we've been geeking on this week. What's what's uh, tripped our trigger? What what's what's been our fancy? What have we what have we been into this week? And so, as our guests, you have the ability to go first or go last. Totally up to you. Mm. What do you think, Molly? I'll be ruled by you on this one. I think I need to go last because. What I've mostly been doing this week is working. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we'll so go. So I'll we'll gather go, my thoughts. We'll go with uh, Joe. Yeah. So a um, uh, little bit of context. Uh, in in my, my schooling endeavors recently, we've been studying the Old Testament minor prophets. And so I've been thinking a lot about uh, theology and um, story and narrative and all of this stuff. And at the same time, I've been reading uh, It by Stephen King. (laughs) And uh, I finally finished It this week. And sort of, uh, and, and of course, at the same time, I'm, I'm also listening to the audiobook of The Stand, which is why I knew it's 52 hours long. And so, sort of, uh, what I'm as I'm reading, there's these big themes that come up in a lot of his books, especially if they tie into the Dark Tower in any way. And so, I, I, I'm just totally geeking out this week on sort of the theology of Stephen King, and sort of the the big big themes that he thinks about, sort of the the power of the imagination of children and the the purity of of uh, of of thought that you have at eleven that you don't have when you're forty three, um, or sort of the the way that he views the the cruelty of whatever power that is God in the universe, um, and all of this stuff, and it's just been it's been really amazing for me as a as kind of a theology geek. Uh, to sort of pick apart his narratives and go, okay, so this character is basically the same character as this guy and this guy and this guy in all of these books, or uh, this is a theme that I've seen eight or nine times in these books. You know, uh, it's just, it's really, it's really kind of neat. And if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. Um, the the sort of uh, psychopathic clown thing is not really what the story is about. 
and I suggest you read it to find out what the story really is about because it's amazing. So oh, really? that's what I've been geeking on this week. Cool. Good answer. Thank you. Uh, Rye, how about you? Uh, oh, you went to me. I did. I, I rarely ever go second. I, I know. Um, it's it's well, it's the Dobby House Elf one. I just as you as you may or may not know, your guy bought a ukulele. That's right. Ooh. Yeah. So I have been ukuleleing uh, lately, much to my family's sh- uh, chagrin. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but to be fair, it is a very uh, it is a very it can be played very quietly, and it's very it's a soothing instrument. It is. Um, but that that has been fun. Um, I'm not. Uh, very good musically. Like I, I think I got a good voice. I think I can carry a tune. But I, I've never been able to play an instrument. Um, so this has been uh, this has been very cool for me. I'm actually trying to learn how to do it. Uh, I got the the musician app, um, so I only know a couple chords because I'm actually I'm not skipping ahead. I'm not going to the Google and looking at tablature. I'm doing learning it how they're telling me to learn it. So uh, which that in and of itself is new to me. I'm not a instructions guy i'm not a uh, uh get trained guy per se so <laughs> right so forcing myself to sit there and play the f chord over and over and over again is really tough for me but i'm trying to grow as a human <laughs> so, good good on you uh, so good. yes uh ukulele is what i've Very been on this week nice uh well, rob bass how about yourself uh, it's been a lot of D&D 5e for me this week. Um, I've got one player from my group who moved to Colorado a couple of months ago, so it's been really exciting to try and organize things for him. Uh, well, my player Because he's always stoned. Exactly. <laughs> right. um, but uh, my players don't know this yet, and I think only one of them listens to this uh podcast at the moment so uh, i'll let this be a spoiler for him but uh our friend who moved out to colorado is going to be joining us for our upcoming weekly session they currently went to the end of the world and back to their home planet uh in order to get ready to fight a bunch of eldrazi monsters like lovecraftian horrors so it's going to be a really fantastic session next week i'm really excited for it neat Yeah. Um, Well, I'll jump in then and say I've been really um, studying what's going on in the podcasting world, as I referenced earlier. Um, So I've been trying out various different um, scripted podcasts, fiction podcasts, but as well as some of the big ones that have come out on the nonfiction side, like S-Town. Uh, I listened to a couple of episodes. I actually have very mixed feelings about it, even though it's gotten so much praise. Um, And I was checking out Missing Richard Simmons. Uh, And then on the fiction side, um, The Truth. I don't know if you guys have heard that one. Um, The Heart, also. (laughs) Um, And then Issa Rae's um, Fruit. So all you know, interesting new forays into the fiction podcast world. And then the other thing going on this week is um, um, I have a one-year-old, and since he was born, obviously I read tons of 
children's books now. Um, so it's been prompting my husband and I to actually start writing some children's books. So that's been oh, very real, cool. That's awesome. Re- yeah. Really interesting and gotten me thinking about like storytelling, um, family storytelling. And one of this is not a specific thing, but it's just been something I'm thinking a lot about how so many people are having children when they're older. And so it means that the grandparents are older and in general means that there's sort of increasing, not in every socioeconomic, you know, um, group, but increasing, um, length of time between generations and kind of what that means in terms of storytelling. And I know a lot of people who, you know, don't know very much about their grandparents. And I feel like that's more and more common. So I'm just, it's just a theme that I've been thinking about. It's not any particular thing. But That's noble that's work really there, though. Cool. I mean, that's, uh, um, I was fortunate enough to know a lot of my grandparents, great-grandparents, so... Uh, that's that's very cool. That's a cool thing to be thinking of. And Max? Uh, we're, we're actually celebrating, Joe and I are celebrating our grandparents' uh, 60th wedding anniversary this year, actually. So that's oh, cool that's true. Oh, wonderful. Congratulations so cool. to them. And uh, the, the other thing, too, I wanted to say is, have you, uh, have you listened to any of Aaron Mankey's lore? No, I haven't. I would I would check out Lore not just because it's a good podcast but because there's a uh, a lot of the things we talked about earlier where there's there's always music playing in the background of a mm-hmm. of a Lore episode. Cool. Um, and it's and it is and it is just storytelling. It's it's a that's a that's a very cool one to just uh, dive into. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Sorry sure. to see your thunder there, Max. What are you geeking on? No, that's cool. That's cool. That sounds like a really fun podcast to to get into. Um, well, let's see. It's Wednesday. Um, I've been... <laughs> what am I geeking on today? Um, so, in a way, most of my time this week has been uh, dominated by starting a new book, uh, which I am getting into and having a lot of fun with. So I'm kind of geeking out on that. Um, it is... I'm working on it longhand right now, which is very weird because it's a space opera, and I haven't written fiction longhand in a long time. But sort of big ecstatic space book and for some reason the way that i just really wanted to get into this was with a notebook and a pen and part of it's just it's been beautiful in boston which is where i live the last few days for the first time in the winter so um i've been getting outside and wandering around and just writing a lot and feeling very bohemian and getting to talk to a lot of people which is really fantastic everybody's just kind of opened up in the last few days and folks are looking to get out of their houses um from general outside of geeking out on like that experience of kind of going around and writing which is always my favorite thing to do um let's see i just finished uh, the fifth season by nora jemison by nk jemison um which won the hugo last year i think and it's really fantastic. Um, I am not the first person to say so, obviously. It won the Hugo. It's gotten tons and tons of praise, but it's all deserved. Um, she's uh, been an author that's like, she's been a really high performing and really interesting author for a while now. But for me, this was the book of hers that bridged the very sort of formally involved and experimental interesting stuff that she was doing 
with her uh, 100,000 Kingdoms books, the, her first trilogy, and the really strong plot dynamics that she was working with in the second uh, series that she did, the Dreamblood books. And it's, it's fiery, it's angry, it's exciting, it's dramatic. There's big sort of earth-shaking, literally, stuff that's going on all over the place. And it's really fun to watch such an assured writer do work that's this caliber. It's so, so good. That's awesome. Yeah, it really is. I mean, so often, I don't know. I don't know if you guys have this experience. So often I'm putting down a book and I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, well, that was, that was really nice. It worked well. Maybe it would have been better if this happened. Maybe it would have been. But this is, it's just, oh, this is a, this is a solid piece of work. This is a great thing that has been done. Just put it down, feel really happy about it. <laughs> and like, it's one of those where it's weird too, because um, there's a structural thing that she does uh, that is, I don't want to spoil it. Um, but there, there's, you know, there are a couple things in the book that are, um, would ordinarily be sort of twist E but the great thing about them is if you see them coming, it actually works in the book's favor massively. Like if you deduce what's going on early, you get to see how carefully everything's laid together and how much the book is building on it. And she then starts to use that conviction, which I think she suspects the reader is going to have before the sort of before any revelation is made explicitly starts to use that conviction as this extra little goad or sort of thing that she's dangling in front of you. Like, oh, maybe maybe you're wrong. Maybe you're very convinced about this, but maybe, maybe this is uh, just going to take a dramatically different direction. And maybe that would be sort of dramatically unsatisfying, but this book is kind of about uh, dramatic unsatisfaction or the ways that stories can betray you. So maybe that would be really uh, profound and interesting. Maybe I'm going to screw with you that way. So it adds this whole extra dimension of being possibly outthought all the way through. It's really fascinating. And I'm so glad that I finally read it. That is really awesome. I'm going to have to check that out. Please do. So before we let you go, let our listeners know where they can find you uh, and where where they can get cereal boxes. Sure. Um, Serialbox.com is S-E-R-I-A-L box.com. And you can uh, sign up for, you can subscribe to BookBurners there. And then you can get weekly episodes through the iPhone app, which is uh, Serialbox Publishing. And we just are about to release the Android app in the next Mm. few days. So uh, look for it in the Google Play Store. Um, and I'm on Twitter, I'm Mal Barton, M-O-L-B-A-R-T-O-N. And uh, excellent. And I'm also on Twitter at Max Gladstone um, and on the web at maxgladstone.com. And that's basically it. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Th- uh, thanks for Thanks for a great interview. Thanks for uh, blowing our minds a little bit. And, <laughs> and thanks for Cereal Box and Book Burners. It has been, uh, uh, it's been a very cool addition to my, my life. So Good. I'm so glad. Thank you. 
Thank you guys so much for having us on. I'm really yeah, glad that you like you. the books and really glad that you are supporting Serial Box because it's really cool. We love writing them and we just want people to be reading them. Yeah, and anytime you guys get anything going on, you want to come back on the show, you want to talk to us, you want to you want to talk gaming or you want to talk about uh, um, cooking empanadas. It really doesn't matter. Just let us know and <laughs> you can come on the show. So, All right. Thanks thank a lot. You. Take Thanks care. for coming on. Have a good Thanks, one, guys. guys. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Have a nice night. Right. That's how you do that. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Made me think about some things. Like I hate outlining, but maybe maybe that's why I'm not a published author. <laughs> <laughs> Outlining's great. It's probably one of my favorite parts of the story writing process. You're very good at it, though. You know how to. You know what button to type to make the bullet points. I do. Um, it's yeah. tab. Is it tab? Well, it's after you make the bullet the first time. But yeah, yeah enter see, tab. My, see, that's my problem. <laughs> ah. That's my problem. I can't make Maybe. the bullet points. <laughs> my my problem is is that I'm not Stephen King because he doesn't outline. But. Fair. We, we all have belly buttons. Yep. You know what I'm yep. <laughs> Be right back. Going to go work for a few years at a uh, laundry company. <laughs> Whatever it was he did. I don't know. He got hit by a van. I know that. Ah, it was years after he was successful, though. Solid point. Well, I think there's going to be plugs. Plugs. Yeah. Plugs, plugs. Nico here. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Chapsnatter, and listen to our twats, especially from Rob Bass, as he will keep you up to date on all the latest and greatest going on with the show. Also, follow us on YouTube, iTunes, and RedTube. The five stars. We love you. Hello, this is Sherlock Holmes. If you can't get enough Cartoon Joe, check out him. Check him out on this this freaking show podcast on uh, Saturday mornings at eleven a.m. Get on over to our Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/GeekCastLive for special content perks and that warm fuzzy feeling that you're doing something awesome and helping out our podcast. We wouldn't be anywhere without you guys, and we look forward to bringing you geeky content for a long time to come. A record of the delightful piece they're going to play this evening. I want everybody to understand.
things we don't understand. I don't understand. I we need answers from you. What, the, what did you expect to find? What did you expect to Who's find? Who's going to be our future? It's your responsibility to do something about it. Well, I uh, I have the key in my hand. All I have to find is the lock. The lock. The lock. The lock. Now listen to me, all of you. Now the moment we've been waiting for is here. What did you expect to find? What did you expect to find? 